So Jeremiah 3, we'll focus on verse 15, but I'll begin reading in verse 6. So if you could turn to Jeremiah 3, verse 6, I'll read down to verse 15. Well, trusting you are there in God's word, Jeremiah 3, verse 6, let us hear the word of the living God. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and had given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, the backsliding Israel hath justified herself more then treacherous Judah, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let's pray. O gracious God of heaven, What a thing it is to hear that there will be men purchased by Christ, that he has been given in his ascension, and then send to us that we may have pastors, shepherds after God's own heart. And so as we come to hear this word preached to us now, we pray that the minister who preaches would preach with the heart of Christ that it would be the word of Christ that would come forth from his lips, that Christ would minister now by his spirit, and that the people of God would turn from their backsliding ways, that they would turn unto the Lord through this word, not feignedly, not deceitfully, but truly, and that they would embrace the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. O Lord, this is a thing that we deeply depend upon the Lord our God for. The man who preaches cannot do it, The people who hear the word themselves cannot turn their own heart if the spirit is not here. So send and blow thy spirit upon us. And would you open our eyes then now as we come to the word of God, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy word. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ loves his people and greatly cares for them. This is the truth of God's word. He greatly cares for his people. He greatly loves his people, even a backslidden people who are often wayward and in their sin. 
And in our text, we find that his care is shown for us with the promise to give shepherds, a promise to give pastors after his own heart who will tend to his flock. He will give his church men after his own heart, men who will shepherd us with the heart of Jesus Christ himself, men who will love God's people, men who will serve God's people, calling them to Christ constantly, pointing the people of God to Jesus Christ, pleading as they preach to close with Christ and to receive Him by faith for salvation, Uh, men who will preach against the sin of Christ's congregation to not see them destroyed, but rather in the hopes that they would turn to God, as you see here in this text. Men who would hold up the glory of God Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that you would glorify the Lord your God. Men who would do such with meekness and a servant's heart, with the compassion of Christ himself. Men after God's own heart, as he says. And there's a promise here to give them. I will give you pastors after mine own heart, he says. And so this is one of the great and precious promises of God that we have considered that we are to hold on to as the people of God, that for the good and well-being of the church, Christ will send men. He will send men with his own heart to tend and shepherd the people of God. And when we recognize that a man of God has been sent with the heart of Jesus Christ, what ought we to do? We ought to praise God. We have to praise Him that He has kept His promise, He has kept His word to give us such gifts and give Him the glory that He is due for such wondrous promises and for the gift itself, of course. Now, that we would better understand our need to have men like this, that men who are in the ministry as well would know the need for a heart after Christ, whether they're an elder or a minister or even a deacon. We come to hear preaching on this text with the theme of God's promise to give us pastors after his own heart. God's promise to give us pastors after his own heart. Uh, These are things that we are to pray for, gifts to pray for. And we are to seek fervently because they are needed for the well-being of Christ's church. And if you've ever been in a position where there is not a man like this to to minister to you, and there are many open pulpits in the RPCNA, and maybe we'll consider that in a bit, uh, you ought to recognize that Uh, This is a great and tremendous gift to have a man or men on a session to tend after the people of God. So we'll divide this narrative or this prophecy under the three heads on your bulletin. First is the people, second is the promise, and third is the pastor. And we'll spend, as we want to do, most of our time in the first heading, which is the people. And uh, I'll read the promise again in verse 15. I will give pastors... After mine own heart. Now that's a precious promise. That's a very precious promise. And it's the mine own heart part that we really want to focus on today. Because that drives everything. And that is what is necessary that we would give glory to God, first of all, for his heart. Right? That he has such a heart for his people. And secondly, that we would um, give glory that he would uh, form and fashion men's hearts after his own in order to serve the people of God. However, it seems good to begin with the understanding of God's uh, people and their heart first, as you find it here in this text, because it's really what sets 
God's heart in such contrast and really magnifies his own heart is really to see the wayward heart of God's people. And when you see that he, in a sense, loves those, humanly speaking, that are impossible to love. These who are, these who are ourselves, wayward, backslidden, sinful, idolatrous, whorish even in this text. And yet he loves such as these. And that informs the kind of heart that a minister or an elder is to have as well. We would find, if we would look at the heart of God's people naturally, that God's heart is so gracious, so merciful. And we would really be in astonishment day by day that He would love such as us. So let's gain some context in Jeremiah 3, as we've not been in Jeremiah now, at the time of this text, Judah, it's plain to see, is going to come to the uh, near to the end of her days. Her captivity would soon come for her idolatry and her gross sins that are abhorrent to God, her polluted worship, her idol, uh, idolatry and idol worship as well. And her sister Israel had already been taken into captivity for her own idolatry by the Assyrians. And in the prior chapter, which gives us a lot of help in understanding chapter 3, the Lord shows his case against his people. So Jeremiah 2, I'll read verses 11 through 13. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, be very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now this is perhaps one of the most convicting texts in all the scripture because it describes us to a T so often. What a thing it is to remember children that pagans often have more of a commitment to their false gods than the Christian does to the true and living God. Look at the commitment that Muslims have to their false god, Allah. You likely know that they're called to pray five times a day. Yeah, it's a very ritualistic thing, and of course, Allah is a dead god. But what a thing it is that they are often compelled to do such a thing. You know, once I was in a parking lot in Southern California, parked the car and saw this man get up and he went to the trunk of his car, pulled out a prayer rug, put it out behind his car and started praying because evidently it was the appointed time. It's a Muslim man. So here he is serving something dead and the Christian has a hard time to even pray daily to their God who is the living God. And what a thing that is. And that's what the Lord says in astonishment. What people changes their gods that are yet no gods, but my people have changed the, their glory, which is me, to that which profiteth not, that which is no god at all. You know, we often have, in other words, a deeper relationship with the world, with sin and idolatry than we do with our own true and living God. It says here in Jeremiah 2, first we forsake the Lord, the fountain of living waters for idols, and then second, and disgustingly, we hew for ourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
In other words, we find our refreshment in things like sin and worldliness and idolatry, broken cisterns, polluted things that profit not our soul. Though we imagine, don't we? We think on this way. Well, I'll be refreshed if I spend time in the world. Or this sin will delight me and delight my soul. It's ridiculous. And we lay aside and we put aside Ishi, our husband, who alone can give us living waters, who alone cherishes us, gives himself for us, gives us life and health and vitality. And we hew for ourselves our own cisterns, which are muddy and polluted. Now, I know I'm supposed to be giving you context, but I feel compelled to warn you, brethren, against this great evil here and now. There is nothing to refresh your soul in sin and idolatry, brethren. Have you been hewing for yourself broken cisterns that can hold no water and wondering then, why is my soul so parched? Why do I fall into sin so readily? Why am I tempted? Why do I not spend any time with God? Why do I pursue other things over the Lord himself? It's because you're trying to find refreshment in gods that are no gods at all. You're trying to find refreshment in sin. Even when Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul, says to you, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And we know what the Lord's promise is in that from John 7, that he will send you the Holy Spirit, that he will send you God himself to dwell in you. What a thing is that? that he will send God himself to refresh and fill your soul with marrow and fatness. And we chase after polluted streams and we lay him aside. We lay aside his ordinances. We lay aside his own presence, his own power. For what? Filth. Let's just be clear on that. Filth. And idols that are no God's. So if your soul is thirsty and parched today, turn away from idols and to the living God. Turn to Christ. And out of your heart, out of your belly, will flow out rivers of living, life-giving streams will come into your heart. Not dead and polluted water. Your sickness has come from drinking in death. You know, so many of you probably have more of a care that your water system in your home is filtering your water from whatever the city water is than you do care about what you're ingesting in your soul. And that ought not be. Christ promises, turn to me and I will give you the water of life and you will find rest for your soul. But uh, as we come to the context again, Such a forsaking of the Lord also has a dimension we rarely consider. I hope this congregation has considered it because we've been in Hosea. And actually, we were reading through Hosea in God's providence too, that it is a betrayal of the marriage covenant you have with God. Every professing Christian and their children are in a covenant with God, the covenant of grace. Uh, A professing Christian has taken up the covenant summarized in Jeremiah 7, a few chapters from now, 23. I will be your God and ye shall be my people. So every professing Christian has taken up the covenant of grace in that way. And God keeps his part of that compact. And yet in Jeremiah's day, they had not kept their part to be his people. And so they were covenant breakers, the breaking this covenant. And that is not impersonal. 
but it is rather personal with the Lord himself. Because when we do that, we are turning from the one that we are in uh, an engagement to. You know, in idolatry and sin, you read it in our text, we've heard it. What do we play? We play the whore. We play the whore. Let's be clear. Our idolatry and our sin, beloved, is whoredom. It's whoredom against God. Our, our sin is as vile and as disgusting as a married woman entering into the bed of a foreign man, a woman, a man who's foreign to the marriage bond. Uh, and not just that, if you think about idolatry and sin, not just that, but a filthy and disgusting man at that. Especially when you consider who her husband is, gracious, majestic, glorious, altogether lovely, loving towards her. She enters the bed of a filthy and disgusting vile man. That is what your sin is. That is what my sin is. That is what idolatry is. If that strikes you as a very uncouth thing for me to say, well, that is how the Lord sees it. And that is how the Lord describes it. And so maybe the problem is there needs to be less polite ministry. So God's people will hear him in these things and turn back to him and forsake their broken cisterns and their whoredoms and their lovers. Now for her filthy ways, the Lord said that he is in absolute rights to divorce Judah because she is an adulteress, she is a whore. Legally, he says, he can give her a bill of divorcement just as he gave Israel earlier. Jeremiah 3.8 says as much, God had put Israel away, taken her away. And uh, he says here, and this is important for us to comprehend, that when Judah, that is Israel's sister, saw Israel taken away, she feared. She was afraid to see the judgment fall on her sister. But he says she feared the wrong thing. She feared the consequences of her idolatry and sin. She feared what had happened, but she had not feared the right thing, which is to fear the Lord himself. And this is something for us to grab hold of. God says to her, yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. That's verse 10. And so in her repentance, she pretended. She was deceptive. Her heart was not in it. In other words, she saw the consequences. Oh, the Lord may take us away into Babylon, but she did not actually turn her heart to the Lord which is what is necessary and which is what is needful in repentance. You know, when we are caught in our sin and chastisement is meted out to us, how many do not turn to God with our whole heart, but do so deceptively? Being afraid of consequences for our sin, but having no revulsion for our sin. Not seeing and saying this, right? I have played the whore against my heavenly husband. That's where he wants your heart in sin. Not just to say, oh, well, other people will hear about my sin. And that's a terrible thing. Let me, let me try to put that away. Let me try to make amends for it. Or if I did, because I have done this, now I'm in trouble with the elders or with my brother or my sister or maybe even the civil magistrate. No, what God wants first and foremost is you to say, against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. He wants your heart broken. He wants your heart, beloved. And not to just say 
pattern of words, sorry. You know, so many of our children, right, when they're caught, and boys and girls, don't just be sorry. Say you're sorry when you're caught for your sin. They'll simply say sorry, as if it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what Judah was doing, saying just, I'm sorry. No, he wants your heart to be knit to himself. God sees deception and repentance. God sees and God despises that. You see that here. You and I must keep ourselves from a deceptive outward repentance. You know, I've lost track, sad to say, of the number of men and women I have met who have said that they repent of some gross sin, but have not actually turned to God. That is a great evil, and let us put that away. Now, I paint this backdrop and give you this background so that you might better understand the heart of the Lord to such a people as this. To such a people as this, deceptive in their repentance, so-called whores against the Lord their God, backslidden, seeking after foreign gods, and turning aside, doing what the nations would not do, which is to give up their idols, but they have given up on the true and living God. This is the heart of the people. And so we understand the heart of the Lord of his mercy to such a people as this. And we must remember that because these people are examples to us that we would not sin as they did. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 6, boys and girls. And you might think, right, to such a people as this, what the Lord would say to you whores, to this nation, there's no turning back, right? I'm done with you. And if you've ever been sinned, maybe even in the marriage bond, right, against your uh, spouse, uh, by your spouse, you might Imagine that the Lord would say here, there's no way back. There's no way back for you, my bride. But that's not what he does. What is the heart of the Lord in our text? He invited them and he invited, invites us too to come back to him and return. Jeremiah 3.12 Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Now God told his minister, his prophet, his pastor, so so to speak here, to go and preach these words even to Israel. And I wish I could have time to spend on that, but I, I don't today. But he tells them to preach. He tells his ministers to preach that there is mercy even to the backslider. And he brings his own character in that. He says, for I am merciful. I am merciful. And if you're a backslidden Christian today, maybe this is what you need to realize and this is what you need to recognize. That the Lord is merciful. Very merciful. And that is often a barrier to repentance, isn't it? Is that in your sin, even as the Lord might convict you of it, is that we can forget that he is very merciful. He is very merciful to the chief of sinners. There is grace abounding to the chief of sinners if they will take it, if they will have him, if they will turn to him. And we often forget that and we neglect that. And that's often a barrier to our repentance. And if you are convicted of your sin and you think the Lord will have nothing to do with you, you need to look at texts like these 
And you must embrace the promise that is found here. For I am very merciful. It's hard to believe, though, that we sin against such a God as this, beloved, isn't it? That ought to be a barrier to our own sin against him. That we sin against one who is so merciful and so loving. That we would forsake one so gracious and instead run after those that are no gods at all. What a thing that is. Now he tells you what he requires in order to have such mercy. Verse 13 says, Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. What does he want from you, sinner? Acknowledge what you have done. Acknowledge your iniquity. Acknowledge your whoredoms that you have not obeyed him. Admit your fault. He wants an acknowledgement from the heart that you have not obeyed him. From your heart. He, he wants your heart in this. Not deceptively, as we heard as children do say, I'm sorry, and then you walk your way and you haven't actually repented. But he wants the heart broken and contrite, recognizing from your mind and heart who you have sinned against. When you sin, do you recognize who you have sinned against? This is often why our repentance is not what it ought to be. We are to recognize who we have sinned against, the Lord our God. And the Lord our God, when we say our God, right? how many dimensions? He is our Father. He, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is our Bridegroom. Right? And how many dimensions have we sinned? He is our Creator. He is our Redeemer. In so many ways we have sinned against God. And we are to recognize these things. And it ought to wound us all the more when we know who He is. Right? If we don't know who God is, Holy, holy, holy. Then it, sin is not going to bother us. It's not going to trouble us. And we're not going to repent as we should. But when we understand who he is and we are wounded in the heart, hear his gracious words in verse 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. He says, turn, he says, repent. He says, return, O backsliding children. You know, so these two verses here that we find, verses 13 and 14, are actually quite comprehensive to you, the backslider, today. He prescribes what you are to do. If you are backslidden in sin, what must you do? First, acknowledge you have transgressed against your husband. Second, acknowledge you have not obeyed his voice. Then turn uh, make your way towards new obedience. Do not just confess. Make a turn. Put away the sin. And so, so often we confess our sin and have no interest in new obedience. But it's not repentance unless we are interested in new obedience by the grace of God. Turn to the Lord for mercy, be forgiven, and walk with Him in new obedience. And that is the prescription, Christian. If you are a backslider and you know and have been convicted by the Lord that you've been walking away from Him for a season. And I would just warn you, if you are convicted, you are a backslider. Turn now. Because you have no idea if your backsliding is really just the seed of apostasy. If it is left unchecked, it could very well turn into full-blown apostasy. 
And so the very first motion of backsliding is meant to be turned away from. Now, don't say I'll put it off till tomorrow. You know what will happen tomorrow? You'll be backslidden a bit more. You need to turn now if you are convicted of your sin. Not tomorrow. (sighs) Whatever sin you're cherishing, put it away. He knows what it is. And you need to do it in view of who he is and seeing him actually allure you to himself. You know, his prescription here is in view of his mercy and in view of a marriage covenant. What does he say? What is the argument here for you? For I am married to you. I have made a commitment to you. And so you come back to me in view of that commitment that I have made to you. You are my bride. Come to me. You know, he could have simply said, I am the Lord. Turn. Well enough, that is good. And we ought to when he says, and he says that in other places. But when he says, for I am married to you, and you don't turn. What an awful thing that is, isn't it? To hear him entreat you now, to allure you, as in Hosea chapter 2. Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably or speak comfort unto her. And when you say, no, sorry, I, I like my sin more. I'm, I enjoy being backslidden. That's the stuff that apostasy is made of. So you need to go back to him as you see his heart for you, backslider. There's only the hardness of your own heart that is keeping you from being reconciled with God. He holds himself to you. Do you hold yourself out to him? Keep a habit of faith for all of us. Keep a habit of faith and repentance ongoing each day, every day. Faith and repentance, turning to the Lord, seeking the grace of God to walk in new obedience. This is the habit of faithfulness with God and is one that we are to cultivate. Now I'll speak to the unbeliever a bit later because our time is going. But I would have you see here how merciful God is. And if you have felt like there is some sin that will keep you from God, See how merciful he is and turn to the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be forgiven of all your sins and be engaged to the Lord and have everlasting life. I'll speak on that, I pray and trust, a bit later. Well, we have seen the heart of a merciful God to a backslidden people and that prepares us for the next head, which is the promise. Well, you've seen something of the heart of the Lord in this text, I believe, a God who is desirous of the purity of, of his bride, the church, a God who is jealous that her heart be knit to himself, a God who is merciful and compassionate to wayward sinners, a God who even seeks after the lost and the rebellious, sending men into Israel to call them to have the mercies of God. So you have seen something of the heart of God here. And after his invitation to mercy, He gives this promise in verse 15. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And this is the promise, right? We've seen the heart of the Lord. And now you see the promise to give you men according to his heart. Men called pastors. Men who have the heart and mind of God for his people. And the word pastor here, boys and girls, I don't know if you know this, what it means. It means shepherd. That's what it means. It means shepherd. 
And in Jeremiah's context, we want to look at the broader context. It's not just pastors as in the church today, but all kinds of shepherds, all kinds of leaders of God's people, including civil leaders at that. Uh, because uh, civil leaders are called shepherds of a sort. Even Cyrus was called something like that outside of the church. King David, you remember, was the man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13.14, Acts 13.22. And in Jeremiah's prophecy, he is also prophesying of civil rulers to come, like Zerubbabel, men who are magistrates and not just uh, not ministers. And so there is a promise, and I want to deal with this, treat this briefly, that uh, kings will be nursing fathers to the church. Right? Isaiah 49.23. And if you ever wanted to see uh, proof of that, you see the godly kings that are found in the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament era, you find this in times like the Reformation, that it was often kings who protected the Reformation cause. You remember uh, Frederick uh, III, uh, Prince of Saxony, who protected Luther from the, uh, from the Pope, of course, and helped push for the Reformation uh, for our own um, Heritage. You remember the British Parliament nurtured the reformation of religion um, as they, uh, uh, through their encouragement for the church, we find ourselves with the Westminster Standards. So these kinds of men are among those promised in this text as pastors. But they're not ecclesiastical or church shepherds, and they have no power in, inside the church. Their power is, as we say, circa sacra, around the church for the well-being of the church, to protect the church and to nurture the people of God, to give the church an environment by which she may prosper, to give her resources even by which the church may accomplish her Christ-given mandate. And these are meant to be men who love the church as well with a godly affection to have the heart of God for her. And when you see magistrates like this who love the church of Jesus Christ and seek to protect her and cherish her, you see the Lord do wondrous things for his church. Now, before I leave this point, and it is a minor point in the scheme of things, God has promised uh, such men for the well-being of the church. That's what this text portends as well. And so what what ought the church to do when we see a promise? We are to pray. We are to pray for godly men to be raised up as magistrates who will care for Christ's church and care for the purity of religion, in our nation. You know, how often do we get frustrated with our leaders, civil leaders, but we don't pray. But we don't pray that the Lord might give us men who would be shepherds um, of a sort for the people of God in the civil realm. We ought to. And what would happen if the church prayed for such men? If we would pray more for such men, not um, men of compromise, as we often seek, We often look at the options before us and we say, well, better choose one of them. And we choose a man who's compromised. But what if we would pray for men of no compromise to Christ, men who have his own heart for the people of God? What if God's people all throughout this nation prayed for such things with fervency? Would the Lord not hear? Will the Lord not answer? So we need to pray for men of conviction who will follow Christ from the heart as magistrates. Well, as I intimated, that's another sermon entirely. But what is most of all in view in this prophecy are ministers of the church, which when you think of the term pastor is what you think of, men in the church, 
men like Reverend Gunn who will join us, Lord willing, on Monday. Now, church pastors are especially in view because you see that these are men who will feed you with knowledge and understanding, meaning men who will feed you on the word of God. And that's the primary duty of the pastor in the church. We need men for this work, and we have to remember this because Hosea 4.6 says what? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so it is vital that the people of God be shepherded by men after Christ's own heart, who will lead them in the word of God to Jesus Christ. Now in that, I think for you, as the people of God, you must never forget that the word of God is your primary diet. That is your primary diet. You have a duty. If there is a man who has the duty to feed you on the word, what is your duty? To feed on the word of God. You are going to perish. You are going to be terribly backslidden if your diet is not filled with the word of God. So, that said, pastors are in view, church pastors. But we also have other shepherds in the church, especially ruling elders who may not feed us publicly as I am now, but they go house to house bringing the word of God with knowledge and understanding. And so they too are here in our text as they have a shepherding role amongst the flock. Now before we consider these under-shepherds of God's people, perhaps I think when you look at the fulfillment here and you think of the Lord himself speaking, you cannot forget the chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. Jesus Christ. You know, he is the archetype. He is the chief pastor. He is the true shepherd with God's own heart because he is God in the flesh. And so every pastor, every shepherd is to look to him as their pattern. 1 Peter 2.25 speaks of Christ, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So you need to remember that it is Jesus Christ who is the chief shepherd. He is the pastor of your soul. He is the one with God's own heart because he is God in the flesh. He is God himself come for us for his wayward bride. He has come to wash us with the water of his own word. He has come to redeem us with his own blood. And so when we look at the fulfillment of this chapter, we look at Christ himself. You know, when you hear then the Lord speak in Jeremiah 3, to his whore of a bride, you are hearing the Son of God speak as our bridegroom. It's he who speaks and says, he will give us pastors according to mine heart. And what a thing that is. Pastors are to have the heart of Christ. And you think of the heart of Christ, what do you think of children? Don't you think of love? Don't you think of compassion? Don't you even think of uh, meekness and mercy? Uh, his heart of humility as well. Remember, what did he say? He said he came not to minister, uh, not to be ministered to, but to minister. That is, not to be served, but to serve. This is the heart of the men that God sends to us. He even, you remember this, children, what an astonishing thing, that he even washed the feet of his, of his uh, disciples that were quite dirty, really signifying that he has come to cleanse them. He has a heart to allure his wayward bride to himself. He woos us, doesn't he, to himself. He says, come to me, commune with me, have me, have unending pleasures at my right hand. Does he not say, come to me and I will give to you rivers of living waters? 
that will flow out of your heart. What a heart we find in Christ. To forgive, to lay down his life for us who are been so terribly backslidden and whores. Well, Christ has given you a pledge and a promise. Having ascended to God's right hand, he will not leave us orphans. He will give us his spirit, but he will also send men with his own heart from heaven. And in that, what you and I must see, because this is something that in our day and age is not much appreciated, pastors are necessary for the church. They are needed for the church. They're not optional. You know, even on Friday night, we encountered those who think that church is optional, right? We often do this. Uh, this is the state of the nation in a lot of ways, the church, that you think that the ministry of the church is optional. However, we need pastors. We need the full-orbed ministry of the church for sure, but we need pastors, the text makes this plain, because these are the men with Christ's own heart to call you to himself to call you to himself. These are the ones who are to warn you when you are straying from the narrow path and to grab you with the crook and pull you to himself. These are the ones who will say to you, brother, sister, do not go astray. These are the ones who will leave the 99 if they have the heart of Christ to go after the one. And how we need such men to come after us. They will preach to you as I pray I have preached. Do not go to cisterns of your own devising. Do not drink from the world. They will preach, don't play the whore against your God. Turn to him. Come to him. Come to your bridegroom and take up rivers of living water. Christ uses these men to minister to us in this present age from heaven. He works through them. We need them. I need them even as a pastor. I say that. And when you see then a famine of them in the land, like you see so many empty pulpits in our own denomination, what must we see? Judgment, chastisement from the Lord for our sin. Because Christ says, I will give you these men and I will work through these men. And when he withholds them from us, or maybe he fills the pulpit or the pulpits are filled, but not with men after his own heart. Maybe they're filled with wolves who are fleecing the flock. What can we see but judgment on a nation or on a church? So when Christ withdraws himself by not giving us ministers with his own heart, we have to ask ourselves, what have we done? What great sins have we committed against God that he will not give us these gifts? And we are to corporately repent of whatever it is. And we ask, oh Lord, are you sending us into exile for a time by not giving us such men. But we know that he is very merciful if we would turn to the Lord and he will give us these things because we have a promise, a promise, I will give you. And we praise him for that promise. Well, we know that it is Christ speaking when he says, I will give you because these men are actually the reward for Christ's exaltation. Christ received these men as gifts when he was exalted. This is part of his reward, of his exaltation. Ephesians 4.8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
Then verse 11 and following, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And as you might know, Paul is citing Psalm 68 there. In Christ's exaltation, he gave his church, he gave his bride officers. And so you see this, and this is wonderful, isn't it? When you look at Jeremiah 3.15, and you look at Ephesians 4, and you look at the exaltation and ascension of Christ, you see that Christ is no liar. He fulfilled the promise of Jeremiah 3.15, didn't he? To give you pastors according to his heart, men who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And Ephesians 4.13, as you heard it, says this is especially knowledge of the Son of God. Knowledge of the way to have communion with him and eternal life in him. Now, this is one of the reasons why these men are a blessing, because they point us to Christ. In every way, they point you to Christ. They point you to your bridegroom. They point you against, uh, away from sin, and they point you to him. And for that, uh, even as Jeremiah himself was, they were often despised. And may you and me too never despise a man who points you away from your sin and to the Lord Jesus himself. You will see that you will want to throw such men into the dungeon according to your flesh. But it is these men that Christ gives you in order to point you to himself. And when they speak according to the word of God, you are to hear and to hearken and to do what the Lord says Well, with time slipping, let's consider our last heading, the pastor. Let's tie together who these men are according to what Jeremiah has spoken. These men have the heart of Christ. They feed you on the knowledge of the Son of God to cleave unto him. And in many ways then, I want you to see them in this way. They are sent by God to wed you to Jesus Christ if you are unconverted and if you are converted to keep the marriage bond burning hot. That is their role. As you look at the marriage bond, they are to wash you with the word of God that the spirit may fill you with living waters, that you may know your husband. Remember how the apostle Paul saw his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you or engaged you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That is the role of the minister of the gospel. That is the role of the under-shepherd, of the pastor and the elder, is to point you to Christ, that you would be wed to him if you are unconverted, and if you are converted to keep the marriage bond strong, that he is to be jealous over you with godly jealousy, not for himself. He is not to be jealous that you would be jealous for him, but he is jealous that you would be jealous for Christ because Christ is jealous for you. And Christ loves you and desires communion with you. And he is a friend of Christ to point you to him. And that is the work of his ministry. The joy of having a godly minister is that he is a friend of your bridegroom, taking you to Jesus at all times. Children, they're like the best man at the wedding, isn't he? aren't they? To point you to Christ. That's how John the Baptist saw his own ministry. 
He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled, John 3.29. When you consider John's ministry in the wilderness, when he said, repent, you see that in a new light if you understood who he was. He is the friend of the bridegroom, pointing the people away from their sin and to the Savior. Turn, turn from your sin. Turn to your bridegroom. Turn to your heavenly husband. I am his friend, but I am not him. I point you to the voice of Christ who speaks through his word. It is the joy of the minister then to see you engaged to Christ and not to himself. You know, your minister and your elders here in this place, they don't want you engaged to them. They want you engaged and dependent on Christ. They are needful, yes, but what is your need of them? To point you away from sin and to Jesus. To walk in holiness, in faithfulness, to find your sufficiency in Christ alone, to feed you with knowledge and understanding. They are friends of Christ, but they are not Christ. When they preach to you, unbeliever, You must be born again. What they are doing is they're seeking to take you by the hand to the Lord Jesus that you would be engaged to him, that you would be wed to him. And what a blessed thing that would be for you if you would understand who God can be to you in Christ. If you're an unbeliever here, turn away from the filth of your sin and turn to the Lord. What a thing it is that you would know God as your husband in Christ. So ministers are men jealous over you with a godly jealousy. And so they are jealous for Christ's sake. And in that, don't be surprised if you go astray to find your minister or an elder knocking on the door saying, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you sinning so grievously? Why are you departing from him, the fountain of living waters and hewing cisterns for yourself? Why are you playing the whore when you have a gracious and merciful bridegroom. Don't be surprised. That is the work of the ministry. That is the shepherding activity. That is the heart of Christ, is it not? Or have you forgotten that? Do you think Christ is pleased with you to run away from him? No. He will send men, if you are his, to chase you. And these men will preach to you all the counsel of God, everything that the Bible says, especially in matters of godliness, to give you understanding and knowledge of Christ. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, not just what you want to hear, not what your itching ears want to hear. Yes, we are to preach encouraging things to you, yes, but in the right measure, in the right proportion. Sometimes you need to hear about your sin. And you need to learn to turn from it. Not every sermon, not every word we give you is going to be pleasing to you. But insofar as it comes from the word of God, you are to take it. Now the other thing, as you remember that your pastor and your elders are not Jesus, they are fallible. They're not imagining that they're like the Pope who can speak ex cathedra. They are fallible men and they are not to be put on a pedestal. They will disappoint you, even as David, the man after God's own heart, was a disappointment in some senses. So have a proper expectation for pastors. 
But if his heart is right with the Lord, he will be a man of repentance and remedy his faults or else he's not a pastor. In fact, it would be hard to see how he's a Christian. Even so, we are to esteem such men, not for themselves, but for their work. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. I think it's very interesting he has to put that there because you're not likely to esteem one who admonishes you. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace amongst yourself. Though we don't put them on a pedestal, you esteem them for their work, which often includes admonishment. And so that is why you esteem them, not for their person, but for the work Christ gave them to do. And so when our brother arrives, let us esteem him for his work's sake among us. Let's praise God that we have been given that man as a gift from God, from the heart of God to ourselves. Praise God he has given according to his promise as we see it here in verse 15. I will give you pastors according to mine heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So pray for such men with this heart as ministers, elders, and deacons even who will tend to the flock of Christ with the heart of Christ. You know we also need more elders in this place. So pray for under shepherds with the heart of Christ Pray, give us men after thine own heart, O God, as thou hast promised. And as you know, we will have, God willing, future elder elections, deacon elections, even minister elections someday. Ask the Lord to discern, for help to discern men who have a heart after God. Don't just choose any man. Choose men with God's own heart for service. And maybe some of you young men and boys, or maybe not so young, are discerning a call to service in Christ's church. Well, what's the thing that is needful for you? Pray, Lord, give me Christ's heart. Because without it, I'm not qualified. Without it, I'm not qualified. I may know the Bible inside and out. I may be able to have a measure of speaking gifts. However, without the heart of Christ, you are not qualified as a pastor or an elder or a deacon. So pray for a heart like Christ's that I would turn people from sin and to the Redeemer. And if I become a minister, I would preach the excellencies of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Well, time is long gone, but I trust you have seen the glory of the promise and the great need we have for pastors of this kind. Our land needs them terribly so. So pray that the Lord of the harvest would send them as he has promised and ask for him to reveal the sins of the church that we might turn from our sins to receive these gifts. And may we be greatly encouraged by our brother who comes to labor amongst us that God has sent to us a man after his own heart, even as so many stand in need. Amen. May God bless our meditation. Let's arise for prayer of Abel. O Lord our God, how thankful we are for this promise. No, we're more, we're more grateful for the heart of the Lord than even the promise of the Lord. We're thankful that God has such a heart of mercy for us wayward and backslidden sinners. We pray, Lord, if there are any here who are backslidden, that they would, through the work of the ministry here, through the labors of the minister, laboring on Christ's behalf, that they would turn back to the Lord their God, that they would turn from their sin, that their sin 
would not be their lover any longer. That this day, this hour, this moment, uh, their engagement with sin would be broken decisively. And that they would turn to the Lord their God, to their husband, who has betrothed himself to them. Turn the backslider back to Christ. May they be warned that they may be on the path to apostasy. For any here who are unbelieving, may this be the day that they come to the Lord. O Lord, in the ministry we seek to take and espouse men and women and children too to Christ. May some here today who have not known Christ be espoused to the Lord by believing on him. May they know that uh, they may simply be engaged to the Lord in faith and may repentance from sin follow swiftly after that. Lord, we pray that we would all, each of us, uh, find that uh, the churches, that we would pray that the churches would be filled with men after God's own heart. Forgive the minister and the elders here when our hearts have not been according to the Lord's. Forgive us, Father, and give us a heart after God. And we pray that more men would come, more men would fill these empty pulpits and fill the nation uh, with the preaching of the word, with the heart of Christ, to snatch sinners from hell and to bring backsliders back to the Lord. Uh, Only the Lord our God can do such things. So we pray that these things would be so. In Jesus' name, amen.